We are in the midst of our series on Lent. This has been a bit of a forced Lent. We've all had to give up things this year that we didn't plan on giving up, wouldn't like to give up, and maybe we'd even like to have back. Uh, as an example, sort of uh, to serve as a guide for us going through this, we've been looking at the life of Moses. Moses uh, grew up in a great place of privilege uh, inside of the Pharaoh's house. Now, he wasn't born there. He was born to a family of slaves. And in order to save Moses' life, they put Moses into a basket, they put him into the river, and they sort of just float him and hope for the best. And God intervenes as Pharaoh's daughter finds Moses and, and brings him into the house of Pharaoh and raises him. Uh, somewhere around the age of 40, Moses decides that uh, he's had enough of the, um, of the um, situation going on with the, the slavery, and he's going to take matters into his own hands. And so what ends up happening is he starts to uh, keep an eye on the slaves, and he starts to see what's happening. And as he looks out, he sees one slave master beating one of his fellow Hebrews, and he decides that he is going to intervene. And so he goes and he kills this man. Now this gets found out, and as it's found out, Moses realizes that he cannot stay there any longer, and so he flees. He, he runs away as a fugitive, as an outlaw. And while he's on the run, he goes into the desert, and it's here that he enters into a time of great transformation. He finds a, a family to join. He, he, he gets a wife, he has children, and life seems like it's looking pretty normal for Moses. Forty years will go by, and God shows up in a burning bush. And it's there that God is going to speak to Moses and say, Moses, now the time is ready. We are ready for you. I am ready for you, Moses, to go ahead and to set my people free. Moses is filled with a lot of fear. And last week we talked about how excuses hold us back, and they were holding Moses back. But eventually God wins out, and Moses decides to get involved. And so he goes down to Egypt, and, and he comes to lead these people out, and the problem is that we're going to find out that it's not an easy task. It's a very difficult task to bring about change, to set these people free, and Moses is still going to be plagued by all of the doubt that he's got. Eventually, eventually they're going to be set free. I mean, I'm not ruining this for you. It's an old story. We've all seen the Ten Commandments. We know how the story ends. But I guess the moral of the story I want us to say, or take home, and I want to just say it out right up front, is this, is that before you get to that success, you often have to go through a, an area of challenge, that things will often get harder before they get better. And so I would say this, I want to encourage all of you who have been, maybe you've taken our, our challenges seriously, and you're saying, man, I don't want to waste this desert. There's some things in my life that I would really like to do during this time. I would say hang in there because God's not finished until he's finished. Even if things get harder before they get better, that's how it is. And there's something inside of us as people that have this desire to maintain the status quo. I was listening to NPR this week, and there was a, a social commentator on there, and she said this, and, and I looked this up, and, and I want to read just a little bit of a, a paragraph here of what she said. She said, disasters shake things loose. And the things that we regarded as fixed and unchangeable can suddenly be changed. It's been fascinating seeing people in power suddenly say, well, actually, we can put all these homeless people up in hotels. Actually, we can change unemployment insurance and sick leave. Actually, we can find $3 trillion to throw at a problem. 
You know, this sense that suddenly everything can be profoundly different because something terrible has happened does remind us that everything can be profoundly different. And maybe even not just because something terrible has happened. The powerful are often scrambling to restore a status quo that worked very well for them, where the less powerful are often saying, wow, everything has changed. We're not ready to change it all back. Friends, there is a sense that now that so much is changing around us, that maybe now is a good time for us to find some change in our own life. But there's always going to be resistance. We see this very clearly with Moses and Pharaoh. Moses wants to see the slaves liberated. Pharaoh, he wants to maintain the status quo because this is how his economy is, is built and is working. So what's going to happen? Well, Pharaoh's going to reject this. We read about it in Exodus chapter 5, verses 6 through 9. It says this, that same day, Pharaoh gave his order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. He says, you are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw. But, don't require, them, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they're crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the people so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. Do you see what's happening here in this situation? Change, actually just the proposal of change, is enough to send Pharaoh into a tizzy. And it elicits this visceral reaction from him. And he says, no, we're not going to change. As a matter of fact, we're going to make it more the same. We're going to make it more the way that it already is. And this just happens with Moses and Pharaoh. But if you can look through our own history and see that this is true time and time again. I mean, just look back to the issue of slavery, look back to the issue of civil rights, look back to the issue of, of the suffrage movement, and you start to see all of these places where, you know, when change starts to happen, we, we sort of have this resistance to it. Now, we expect that from Pharaoh, but in a surprise twist, we also see that God's own people reject change. Here we read about in Exodus chapter 5, verse 19 through 21. It says the Israelite overseers realized that they were in trouble when they were told, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required for you each day. And when they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. You see, Moses has been sent by God to deliver God's people, and yet God's people don't accept him. Moses goes, he puts his neck on the line, he comes back as a fugitive, he comes back as this outlaw, and he shows up to try to set the people free, and you would think that the people, there would be some sort of solidarity, there'd be some sort of connection, there'd be some sort of place where they say, you know, we're all in this together, and yet Moses is rejected by Pharaoh, and now he's also rejected by God's people. They look at Moses and they say, get out of here, we didn't ask for you to come, we didn't invite you, you know, beat it. And unfortunately, this happens. Even God's people reject change. It happens in the church. I mean, this is a good one. How many deacons does it take to change a church light bulb? Change? Who said anything about change? <laughs> Thank you. And don't get me started on music. We're not even going to go there. The resistance to change happens all over. It's even in our own biology. It really is. Think about this. If you're going to try to lose weight, what you're trying to do is change your body. That is not easy. It is hard. 
You know, let's say you're going to try to quit um, doing drugs or drinking or smoking, and you might say, well, that's not a problem I have. How about this? Try quit quitting drinking coffee. I think that works grammatically. Try to stop drinking coffee. What happens? You make that change, and your body screams out, and he says, no, 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 no. We like things the way that they are. We resist change. Things often get harder before they get better. And so if you have said, man, I really want to make some changes, but it seems so difficult, it seems so hard, as I go through this desert, let me tell you, God's not finished until he's finished. Don't waste this desert. If you see God at work, don't stop, even if it doesn't feel like you're winning. Thankfully, Moses at least had Aaron to encourage him. Aaron's going to be a bit of a problem later in Moses' life, but in this moment, I think Aaron is necessary because Moses at least has one person who's on his side as a physical reminder that God is present with him. And we all need that. That's why I think it's so important that we connect online and we connect through, through live stream and all these different things during this time because we still need to stay connected. Because there are people that will discredit the work of God in you. And you need to be reminded, you need to hear people say that God is at work in you. Don't give up. Moses didn't give up. I mean, but, but he's going to have the same problem. Here, Exodus chapter 7, verse 10 and following, it says, So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. And Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. And then Pharaoh summoned wise men and sorcerers, and the Egyptian magicians also did the same things by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff, and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Now, I imagine this was a really shocking moment, maybe a bit anticlimactic for Moses and Aaron, because God had given them this sign, you know, hey, listen, you know, when you're there, throw your stick down, and it's going to turn into a snake miraculously, and then all of a sudden, Moses does that, but then everybody else seems to be able to do it. Now, I've talked to people, and they get really bent out of shape. You know, well, how do they do it? What are, what are they able to do? How, you know, how does that work? You know, I don't know. Maybe it's smoke and mirrors. Maybe it's some sort of, you know, demonic power at work. I, I don't know. I, I don't know that it even really matters. What I know is that when we get involved and we start to get doing things, and we start to say, man, you see what God's doing in my life, there are people who are going to say, that's not God. God's not doing that. That's something else. Oh, you know what? I can do the same thing by myself. That's what's happening here. You know, we've all had similar experiences, probably not with sticks and snakes, but maybe you've been going through something in your life and, and you've maybe shared with somebody how God helped you through and, and they asked, you know, are you sure that's God? You know, do, do you really believe that? And now all of a sudden you're starting to question, man, is that God? Is this, is this a coincidence? Maybe you're skeptical like me and you're your own worst, you know, critic and your own worst skeptic and you start to go, well, you know, maybe this is coincidence, but but here's what I've experienced in my own life. We go through these points, and there's some things that are just so coincidental, they just can't be coincidence. There's just this moment where you kind of have to look at it, and you go, man, I really, if that's not God at work, I don't know what is. And hopefully you get enough of those to remind you to stick with it. That even though you might doubt God in this moment, that you say, man, I think he's there, and I want to finish this out. I want to see this to the end to see what happens. And let me tell you what happens. We're going to skip through all these plagues, but, but here's what happens with Moses and Aaron. They're able to duplicate the first few miracles that Moses and Aaron do, but they can't keep up with God. 
You know, they can't keep up with him when he really gets on a roll. When God's full power is shown to the Egyptians, there is nobody that can match that. There is nobody who can match the awesome power of God. You can't compete with it. And unfortunately, some people, they try and they fight against God. And, and some people have to be brought to their knees before they can accept God's truth. You know, God is going to send sign after sign after sign to the Egyptians. He is going to constantly prove his power. He's going to constantly say, listen, I am this one true God. I am the God who has created the universe and the world and you, and these are my people, and I want you to let them go. He's going to send sign after sign, and Moses is going to warn them, and he's going to say, listen, this is what's about to happen. You know, let's get in line. Do what God is asking. You know, let's come into a place where we are obedient to God. Let, if we all do this, then, then this doesn't have to be hard. And yet time and time again, Pharaoh is going to reject and resist and the signs will get more powerful and they'll get darker and they'll get more ominous and all of these plagues come together. And at each time, Pharaoh has this opportunity to say, all right, enough's enough. I see what's happening. I, go, go worship God. Be set free. Go be free to be the people that God's called you to be. At any moment, Pharaoh has this capacity to say this. And yet it says that Pharaoh's heart is hardened, and he resists that change until eventually the, the last plague, the plague that's celebrated in the Passover. And, and Moses talks about this. He says, listen, here's this last plague. God is going to come, and he's going to strike down the firstborn. But there's these instructions. He says, listen, if you put blood of a lamb over your doorpost and on the sashes of your door, if you will put that there, then God's death angel will pass over your house, will pass over the place where you live, and you will be saved. And I know that for modern minds, this is kind of a spectacular, amazing story. It's difficult to believe, but this is what, this is what is testified to here in Scripture. And so Moses says, listen, this is going to be the sign. And yet the Egyptians reject this. They deny it. They don't participate in it. And eventually God's plague comes. And it's hard. And it brings them to their knees. And here we pick up in the story in Exodus chapter 12. It says, at midnight the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night, and there was loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said, and go. Also bless me. You see the Pharaoh at this point, he sees the awesome power of God, and he says, I want you to pray for me too. I want you to think about me. I want you to be praying for me. And this whole you know, incident with Pharaoh, I think it begs us to ask this one question of ourselves. What does God have to do to get our attention? What does God have to do to get my attention? What does he have to do to get your attention? How thick-headed are we? How terrible the sign does God have to send in order to get a hold of us? You know, I've talked to so many people who, you know, they say, they, you know, man, I've hit rock bottom. Things are going to be different in my life. Whether it's, you know, they're going to quit drinking or they're going to stop looking at pornography or whatever it is. Man, this time it's different. And I'll ask, well, what are you going to do? How, how's this time going to be different? Well, I'm just going to stop. 
Well, that's great. Have you ever tried that before? Yeah, I did, and it didn't work, but this time it's going to be different. Well, why is it going to be different? Well, because this time it's going to work. Well, what are you doing different that's going to make it different? Nothing. It's just, it's just different this time. And I can tell you what happens. You give it a week, you give it two, you give it a month, you give it two, and eventually we're back at it. Why? Because they didn't really do anything to do anything different. You know, you say, hey, what about going to a meeting? What about talking to a counselor? What about even just getting an accountability partner? What about just getting somebody that's going to, you know, ask you tough questions and hold your feet to the fire? No, I don't need that. I'm going to do this on my own. It doesn't work like that. We all need some help. We all need some encouragement. We all need to do something different if we want to be different. If we're going to see something through, it's going to take some work and some effort and some help, and we're going to have to get out, and we're going to have to put ourselves in places that are uncomfortable. And yes, it's going to get harder before it gets better. But if you see it through, you'll see that God is not finished until he's finished. And at the end of that, you're going to look back and you say, man, I see God at work this entire way. What has God got to do to get your attention for real? What do you have to do? What does God have to do? I would say this, you know, sometimes we identify in other people the things that they need to change more quickly than we identify the things we need to change. I would say let's tread lightly with each other, especially during this time when things are so hard. Let's tread lightly with each other. Let's give each other space and room for God to work. And so I don't want you to go patrolling and policing other people, but let's look at our own hearts and lives and say, what is it that I need to do? And then I want to say this. When God works a miracle in your life, you need to remember it. Where has God shown up in your life? Where has he done something amazing? Maybe he's put your marriage back together. Maybe he's brought your kids back. Maybe he's brought your family together. Maybe he's provided work for you. Maybe it's something with friends or finances. I don't know. Where have you seen God at work in your life? When you see God there, you've got to remember it. You see, that's the message of Passover. God is going to tell the Israelites, he's going to say, listen, this is the day that you are going to be set free from slavery. This is the day where you will be set free to enter into a relationship with me. This is the day where you will now have the ability to say, man, I am no longer a slave. My life is different. I've been set free. And God says, I want you to remember it. And I want you to celebrate it every year with this holiday that is known as Passover. And here's some of the instructions that come with that in Exodus chapter 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, he said, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. God says, listen, the old way of keeping track of time, the old way of, of, of measuring your moments and your days and your minutes, that is gone. I want you from now on to mark time based on your deliverance. I want you now to mark time based on how I have come to set you free. And he says, I want you to celebrate. And he gives them instructions for it in a specific meal. And he says this, and when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean? Then you tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshiped. God says, I want you to mark your time by my work. I want you to celebrate it. I want you to teach it to your kids. I want you to, to remember my work so that way you never forget it. And that way you're, the children that come after you, as they are raised with this practice, they will know that I act. This is why people remember things like anniversaries and baptisms. This is why people you know, remember sobriety dates down to the day. 
because we want to remember and celebrate the good things of God in our life, that he set us free from fear. You know, I think about people traveling difficult paths, traveling different roads. You might have two people traveling down the same road together. Maybe it's the same decision. Maybe they've made the same commitment in their life. And as they get into that, what, it starts to get hard. There's two responses that come from people of faith. Some persons will say, you know what? The reason this is hard is because God does not want me to do this. The reason this is hard is because God is not with me. And they'll quit because they say, man, the path has gotten too hard, and so that must mean I shouldn't do it. But then you've got a second person who's traveling the same path, the same situation, the same circumstances, and they will look at that problem, and they'll look at that challenge, and they'll say, you know what? I have to finish this path because God is with me. The reason it's hard is the devil doesn't want me to make these changes. The reason it is hard is because I am resistant to change, but if I'm going to change, I've got to push through this hard part to get through to the other side, and there's only one way to do it, and that is to keep going, and they don't give up. The first person encounters difficulty and says, this is an invitation for me to stop while I'm ahead. The other person says, no, this difficulty reminds me that I'm actually making change. It's easy to stay the same. It is so difficult to change. So which one's right? How do you know? Well, the answer is you don't know until the end because God's not finished until he's finished. You can't stop working when you see God working. You've got to keep going because it is there at the end that we see how God has delivered us through all of these things in the past. One of my favorite verses from the New Testament is the Apostle Paul. He says, you know, he says, do not become weary in doing what is good because if you persist, you will reap at harvest time if you don't give up. Don't give up. It gets harder before it gets better. And there's going to be a miracle that you will be able to celebrate in your life if you see it through to the end. This morning, I want us to take communion together, sort of doing exactly what Passover invites us to do, to remember the miracle of God at work in us. Now, today we don't necessarily in the church celebrate Passover the way that the Jewish people did, but we celebrate the, the coming of Jesus Christ, the crucifixion, his death and his burial and his resurrection. You think about those days when he was in the tomb. You think about that time when he went to the cross, and it was easy for so many of his disciples to quit, to fall away and to say, man, this is where I get off. But those that persisted, to the 12 and the others that were close, when they followed it through to the end, they were able to see God at work. They were able to see the power of the resurrection. And it is because of their faithfulness that today we celebrate God's work, God's miracle of resurrection.